You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Yeah, dude, I've got I've got PTSD, and uh, I needed balance, dude. Balance is so exp- when you come from a world where everything is, you know, they say it's incredibly structured, and yeah, there's there's a lot of things that you have absolutely no idea what's going on when you're in the military, and. People were like, "Oh, but surely they know that." I'm like, "No, they don't. They don't have a fucking clue what's going on." But you're there, and you're in the middle of it, and you're adapting, and you're overcoming, and mm-hmm. you know, and everything else is structured. And then you know, you go to war, and you fight for your country, and you come back, and maybe some of your friends don't, and you're just missing something. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard; you can't really put your finger on it. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of like there's a part of you left in whatever conflict that you were in Hmm. and you never get that back. It's always, there's that piece of you that was always taken away. And, you know, for some people that, that ends up being PTSD and, you know, um, it just, uh, just kind of how it is, man. And I needed that balance, you know, I wasn't even in the army for Afghanistan. Um, I was just there as a contractor, but you see the same thing uh, in, in aviation. It was is the exact same thing. It's just you're not in a uniform, um, you know. So I came back and I really just needed that peace, dude. I needed some some kind of tranquility, uh, something honestly just to take my mind off of everything. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, capturing the fly fishing life, featuring in-depth conversation with fly fishers from all walks of life. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop, your source for all things fly fishing. DamianAndy.com, featuring custom music by Damian Anderson. Find out more at D-A-M-I-O-N-A-N-D-Y.com. Broken Tippet Fly Company. For blog and fly fishing apparel, check out brokentippet.com. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, visit Wait For It Films on YouTube or at thewaitcreativeco.com. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish, and saltwater flies, ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged Euro nymphs. Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the Fly Crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you have found us, and we have found John Morris on the line today out of 
Texarkana, Texas. He's uh, well, he's an avid fly fisher, has his own podcast, which you're probably familiar with, the Working Class Fishing Podcast. He's a, uh, a, a veteran of the Army, a long-nosed gar specialist, I would say, and an all-around good guy. We had Holly and Alex on from Laughingstock Fly Fishing, and they're like, you need to talk to John. So we listen when we have people on the show. John, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, Mark, dude, thanks for having me on. <laughs> so whereabouts are whereabouts for those that don't know texarkana whereabouts in texas exactly are you dude it's the northeastern corner of texas it's okay. like smoky in the bandit country okay beaut how's the fishing around there i mean are we are we talking sounds like you probably would be targeting quite a few different species Dude, I wish, honestly, I wish I could just lie to you and be like, oh, the fishing's great, man. It's, but it's really not. Um, you've got Lake Wright Patman, which some people here call like Texarkana Lake and stuff like that, but it's Lake Wright Patman. And then you have uh, the Sulphur River. The Sulphur River is probably the most fun. And then you've got uh, the Red River, which is, I think, kind of inherently dangerous. Um, so I really don't mess with the Red River very often. Hmm let's i always like to start this show off kind of getting to know you your history why why you do this why you spend all your time at the time bench why you spend all this time chasing fins and time flies and all this good stuff john when did fly fishing first kind of show up on the scene for you 2021 yeah 2021 i've only been doing this a little over two years really yeah dude Wow. See, now this, I look at this as an opportunity because you're kind of seeing stuff through fairly fresh eyes, which mine, trust me, mine aren't fresh. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, okay. So, so 2021 and how did you find it? Like kind of walk us through the circumstances, how you came to uh, discover it. Dude, there is this, so I came back, so I'm a combat vet, right? Um, I served eight years in the United States army. Um, I was in the air cavalry. Um, from there, fast forward, uh, combat tour in Iraq, I get out of the army and then I private contract with an aviation, uh, company for two more years. And that leads me up to 2021. So that was two years straight in Afghanistan. I say straight, it was, uh, let's see, what is a year, 12 months. So that was 22 months, 22 months in Afghanistan, and uh, came back, dude, and they had just stopped trout. I, I was trying to find people because we had just moved to Texas um, to be with my ex-wife's family. And, you know, we're doing all that. And I was like, man, I really just need to go fish, but I don't have anyone to fish with. So uh found this Facebook group and they were like, hey, they just stopped um, trout at Spring Lake Park. I don't even know where this park's at. And I was surely never caught trout. So I was like, well, I'm going to go drown some worms or go fish some minnows under bobbers. And I'm going to go catch me some trout. And I know my dad used to catch them on like inline spinners. And mm-hmm. we always, I mean, it's, it's like soda, you know, we, every soda where I grew up in Tennessee is it's a, it's a Coke. So it's like, we call every inline spinners a rooster tail, even though I know yep. that's not true, but you know, I always, <laughs> you know, you can get all fancy and name the blades, right? Whether it's Colorado or this or that, but I know exactly when you say, when you say rooster tail, that resonates with me. Yeah, it, exactly, dude. You know, so that's it. And 
So uh, I was like, I'll just take all this and I go catch some trout. And one of the dudes there, his name's Terry, he's an older gentleman. Um, Terry and his wife were fly fishing and the dude Ricky was, that was the dude that I like reached out to, but Terry and uh, his wife are Ricky's mom and dad. So they were fly fishing and I was like, man, that's, that's pretty fucking cool. Um, and Terry, Terry was like, dude, you should, you should try it. And I was like, man, I don't know. That's kind of not my thing. He's like, you should really try it. You know? So I I really kind of thought about it and, uh, for about five minutes, you know, (laughs) I, I, I feel like that's about as much thought as I give anything. And, uh, I went to Academy. I found this, uh, Academy sports is like the I don't know, it's like the Bass Pro or Cabela's or uh, mm-hmm. Sportsman's Warehouse. That That's kind of what we have here in Texarkana's Academy. I went there, and uh, there was this $45 combo. I don't, even, I don't even know who makes it anymore, um, but it was $45. It came with a rod. It was like a five, six-weight rod, mm-hmm. some floating line, a plastic reel, one liter, and six flies. And uh, I went out there, and dude, let me tell you, I can throw the meanest tailing loops, I believe, <laughs> um, to this day, and I would bet money on it. Uh, but dude, I, you know, I, I snapped probably like four of these six flies off behind me into some oh yeah poor dude's windshield, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> and then it was like uh, there. Looking back, it was a chartreuse woolly bugger. And of course, Todd like shit, but you know, I, I threw it out there and dude, I caught a trout and I was like, all right, this is sick. You know, <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. And then, uh, you know, of course I'm like, I'm telling Terry about it and Terry's super stoked for me. He's like, you know, you can catch more than just trout on a fly rod. And I was like, really? You know, because that, that's, you know, one of those misconceptions is yeah. people were like, oh, fly fishing is only for trout. Only if you knew. Right. And yeah. which is like kind of like that whole awareness thing that uh we try to get out there now i guess um but yeah dude then i went and caught largemouth bass on the fly then i caught crappie and then you know it was like rainbow trout uh brown trout brookies and you know it's just and then the incidental gar catch hmm. um that that was the one that kind of that, that's the one that ruined me dude was gar but What's the take like with a gar? Is it, is it a very aggressive? They look like they would be aggressive fish. Dude, you know, um, uh, by the way, when you call me like a gar expert, as as much as I, I would love to be like, hell yeah, dude, I'm, I know everything <laughs> there is to know about gar. Um, I love gar, and I appreciate gar more than how Texas classifies them as a rough fish, which I think is bullshit because they're native, but I won't get into that on here. Mm-hmm. Um, long nose gar, kind of, kind of my deal. Long nose, spotted, um, short nose. Those are kind of, I'd say they're the they're much easier to target because there's a lot larger numbers of them in these uh, watersheds. And, uh, but I have never caught an alligator gar on the fly. But I, I uh, from just how my buddies describe it, I would say an alligator gar on the fly is a lot like fighting a muskie. 
Yeah. Well, and, and you know, there's some similarities in the way those fish look, you know, like stealthy, mean. They look like a predator. Oh, absolutely. Um, dude, and the thing is with like the, you asked about the takes, like the long nose, because admittedly I fish a lot of rope flies because that assures you the best chance of actually hooking up on the fish. Um, which did you say rope flies? Do you, do you mean like, I, I, I haven't heard it quite, quite called that. Do you mean like, uh, Oh shoot. What's the word I'm looking for? Like a tube fly. What's a rope fly? No, dude, not even a tube fly. Uh, and, um, so I use, I, I make an 051 stainless steel shank, whatever length you want. And then I use nylon rope. Mm-hmm. I use white nylon rope. Uh, there's twisted in and there's braided rope. I use the braided rope. And then um, I add, I mean, I, I show people this all the time, so I don't care to tell you. I add red flashaboo, um, chartreuse crystal flash, and then either uh, I do a red head with some strung fuzz or chartreuse strung fuzz. And I build it just like a deceiver. Uh, deceiver. Ah. So it's, it's tied in 50-50 on that first tie. It's not like a 70-30. But it... Dude, if you've never seen nylon rope in the water, it is literally one of the most free-flowing uh, materials there are. It's just incredibly heavy, huh. but you don't have to tie them with hooks because uh, the, the just how the, the teeth are structured on these fish, um, they're barbed, they're very, timely, uh, very, very tightly um, rowed. Um, so they're more for... Um, not necessarily like sawing, right? Yeah. yeah. But um, they're definitely there to grip. And as they're turning this fly in your in their mouths, <clears throat> that's what's getting the fibers actually caught in their teeth. Wow. And a lot of people say that rope flies are unsporting. And, you know, that's for each person to interpret how they'd like. Uh, me personally, I like you no, know, I like assuring I'll catch these fish because their their mouths are so incredibly dense. So is it hard to get them unhooked from the rope? Dude, not at all. Not huh. if if you're not an asshole about it, not at all. Huh. Um, so nice. I just, I grab a, I'm watching my cat eat my ostrich. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a casualty I'm of the tying bench. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, no kidding. Yeah. I just got that. Anyway, um, dude, so I use like a kind of thicker rubber glove, not something you'd use, uh, not not incredibly thick, like those kind of light, eh, not really lightweight, but I'd say like the medium weight rubber gloves that you can get at the hardware store for like two or three bucks for a pair. Um, or like the mechanic gloves and stuff like that. You can just take those and you can literally grab the, the fish's mouth. Um, hmm. And because it's closed and it's usually locked down on the, on the fly. So you just grab their mouth Um and then you take your hemostats, your pliers, whatever. Uh, don't don't hit the fish's teeth because I don't want people pe- pecking on my teeth with pliers. So I definitely don't want to do that to them. So I just pull the fly out, and then I um, if it if they kind of took it a little bit longer than I like, uh, I make sure I always make sure I try to open their mouth and get every fiber I can out. And you can use dowel rods or you can use mouth spreaders to do that. But typically, you can just pull the fly out, and then you can just pull the errant fibers out with, like, hemostats or something like that. You just want to make sure all those are out. 
and then uh, just set the free, uh, set the fish free, dude. I mean, it's it's actually really simple. I've got videos on my Instagram of how actually how to release long nose gone on the fly uh, gotta, with rope. Flies. I gotta so. check that out because that I I I could visualize what you're saying when that that rope would move in the water fairly freely, especially without a hook. I've I just I mean I don't know, man. This is new to me. I've never heard of fishing without a hook on a fly. Um, but what, what you're talking about makes sense in my mind. Like if, if those teeth, they probably aren't coming off once they grab it. No, not, I mean, not typically, no. And that's, that's kind of like the caution, one of the cautionary things, like for anyone listening, if, if you do want to use rope flies, which I think you should, because they're awesome and they catch fish, um, you have to, you have to use big leaders. You have to, and just pay attention to what you're doing because you don't really want to, I mean, Yes, fishing is a blood sport, but you don't want to kill a fish, you know, when you could have when you could have avoided it. You definitely don't want to just cause cause injury or harm or anything to any of these fish that we're yeah. after. Yeah. So, you know, the, the big thing is use big leaders, come prepared. You know, if it's a bycatch, it's a bycatch and that happens, you know, maybe you're not prepared for it, but if you were actively going to target these gar, then you really need to have a plan. And, um, once again, I, I get into that on my Instagram and, um, feel free to reach out, you know, like workingclassfishing.com or my Instagram or anything like that. We, we monitor all that stuff and, um, I'll definitely help you, uh, figure out what you need to bring with you, huh. uh, if you do want to target these on the, on the fly. So who showed you first, John, to to fish first off with, you know, like a rope fly like you're talking about, but also more specifically the long-nosed guard? Did you just kind of, is there some trial and error involved here, or did you kind of have somebody mentor you, kind of give you a hand? or? Uh, so I had a dude, ment- so my first catch was not on a rope fly. No, you don't, you do not have to use rope flies, but I was very, very lucky in how I actually caught the gar. Um, it, it was just, I, I guess that hook was just sharp enough or just right or whatever. And it did get in, into the bone and do what it was supposed to do. But, um, you know, that was that first fish. And then it was, uh, Dr. Ryan King, which is like one of my damn good buddies. Um, he's a biologist here in Texas. He's, he does a lot of really great things for the fisheries here in Texas. And um, he had the the record alligator gar on the fly. And then I later realized that he had the, the state record longbows gar on the fly also, which was kind of a, a kick in the teeth because I thought I had caught the fish that was... So I've caught the the catching. So there's two different sets of records in Texas. Sorry, I'm getting off on a lot of tangents. No, I Steve. love it. I love tangents. You can reel me back, you can reel me back in whenever you need to. <laughs> um, so there's two different uh, categories, maybe even three, but there's there's for sure two categories of records in Texas for uh, for the fisheries, and that's you know your catch and keep, which is by you know weight and length and all this stuff. And then you have the catch and release. And I want the catch and release record, and Ryan holds that record. Um, but the other record, uh, I've beat it twice, but I just can't kill these fish to do it. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. It's just not, yeah, it's just not my thing, dude. So 
Um, anyway, I, I catch this like pretty, pretty stellar long nose and I'm like super stoked and I call game and fish. I call, you know, it's parks and wildlife here. I call them I'm like, Hey, I think I just broke the state record long nose gar on the fly. And they're like, okay, okay, you know, what are the dimensions, all this stuff? And I read it to him, and, and the dude was like, man, I'm, you didn't make it. That's not long enough. It's like, no way. <laughs> he's, he's like, well, let's, let's check out uh, the water body record. And he's like, dude, you're not going to believe this, but the record was actually caught in that water body, and it's still not big enough. I was like, who has that record? He was like, uh, Ryan King. I was like, you gotta, <laughs> I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me, dude. <laughs> like, so, so Ryan, uh, Ryan was my mentor and still is to this day. And he's, he's a really awesome dude. And, uh, he kind of taught me how to do all of that. I mean, I wouldn't say kind of like he, he gave me the information I needed and then he just let me go out there and just go about it and fine tune it in my own ways. You know, I'm sure he fishes, rope flies differently than I do. And I'm sure his construction is different than mine is. Um, but all in all, it was, uh, Ryan was the genesis of that for me. So. Huh. Have, have you ever caught other species on the rope fly when you're fishing for gar specifically? Dude. So when I'm fishing them by myself, I actually have a three aught like Aberdeen style hook that I put on them. Because big, like, hybrid white bass eat the shit out of those flies. They're, like, six and a half, depending. I've got different lengths, right? I've got some that are all the way up into 10 and a half, 11 inches. Yeah. And then I've got some that are about five and a half inches. And that's about as small as I go with these flies is five and a half. Mm. And, but with a three-aught hook, dude, those white bass just wear it out for some reason. I mean, it looks really good. I understand it. So... You know, when I'm fishing by myself, I'll use hooks. You know, I'll use that three-aught because that's a good size for any bigger fish, like even catfish. I've had catfish eat the rope flies, dude. Um, wow. It's pretty wild. Huh. Uh, so, yes, uh, for a simple question, I'm sorry I gave you such a long, convoluted answer. But, yes, 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 I have caught other fish on yeah. rope flies but with hooks. I've never never caught one on just the fibers what made you start the podcast like i know i'm jumping around a bit here and i've got i've got oh, a geez. bunch of i've got a bunch of questions to get to know you on and off the water but first of i do love talking to people with podcasts because there's all kinds of uh things we can share i'm sure but what what made you specifically start that john and when did you start it uh so working class fishing is it's not just my my uh my baby, you know, there's a, um, it's Brian and myself. We, we both created working class fishing together and we, we still host it together as well. Uh, dude, I was pretty put out with some lack of information that I got from a fly shop and it was like safety related. So I was to be quite frank about it. I was pissed, dude. I was super pissed cause I was brand new to fly fishing. I, I just wanted to know something. And to me, it was very important about safety and uh, it took them out. How it was advertised to me is that they would get back to me immediately. Right. Which I know is unrealistic. And I didn't set that expectation like, Oh, I'm going to send them a message in within 30 seconds. They're going to message me back. But it took them over a week to even respond to my message. I sent them 
And I was like, man, fuck that. Like, I could have already went there and drowned by now, right? So right. I'm pissed. Um, in the Walmart checkout line, uh, talking to Brian on, on my phone. And Brian's like, uh, dude, let's just start a podcast and let's put that kind of information out. Cool. Like, yeah. let's 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 make this information accessible to everyone. Let's make it just all fishing, not just fly fishing, not just conventional. Let's this is all fishing for the everyday angler. And uh, that's kind of how working class fishing came about. And then so are you fairly specific to the species that you're talking about or is it because I, I noticed you had our buddy uh, Justin on uh, fairly recently. Uh, we've had him on here a time or two on the show. Um, and I always find it, I think, as as a as a podcaster, it's always nice to get other people on your show because not only are you introducing, hopefully, you know, somebody might listen that just listens to your show via my show and, and vice versa. I always think there's some good cross promotion kind of there to be had. Yeah, I think so. Also, and Justin, Justin's a good dude, man. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he's pretty he's chill. He's a good dude. Very chill. That's yeah. a very good way to put that. So, and, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, Dude, it's it's not species specific. It's not um, one single type of fishing specific. It's just whatever we end up talking about kind of deal. Um, Brian's kind of like he's a steelhead and salmon like junkie, completely through and through. So uh, he's just inc- he Brian knows his shit about pretty much all fishing, but like that's his bread and butter. And then for me, um, I wouldn't say that I know shit about any fishing, but, um, fly fishing is kind of my deal. So we, we kind of balance that out back and forth. I, I used to like fish bass tournaments and stuff like that on conventional gear. And it was a lot of fun, but, uh, it was just that whole different, different strokes for different folks kind of deal with fly fishing. So, yeah, cool. All right, man, here's a few questions to get to know your day to day. Okay. Um, yeah, dude. let's say you're headed to your favorite stretch, uh, for gar or whatever you happen to be chasing. What is playing on the stereo in the truck on the way there? Dude, that's funny, right? Uh, if, if I'm with the grants, right, it's Boston and it's actually funny. Um, cause the, the whole Boston thing came from some of my other buddies. They were talking about the Boston effect. And they were like, anytime we heard Boston, and they were talking about like opening day trout in Pennsylvania, right, is what they were talking about. They're like, anytime we heard um, Boston on the radio, we knew we were just going to slay fish. We just knew it. But they're, <laughs> and they were like, but you can't, you can't like call in and request it, you know, back when we used to do that on radio. <laughs> right. They're, they're like, you can't just call in and request it. You have to like, it just has to come on. It has to be natural. So, uh, just, just out of fun and jest, you know, I kind of made that my guide tradition, um, was to, you know, bring out Boston, dude, that, but it, you know, if it's just me and I don't guide anymore, so it's really just a lot of me and my girlfriend and sometimes my son when he feels like, uh, getting out there, um, dude, it's a lot of punk rock and kind of like folk country and, uh. Yeah, you know, like a lot of Tyler Childers, and then you've got like No FX and Black Flag and uh, Blink One Eighty Two. You know, it's really hit or miss, just mix of love it uh, music for me. Love it. 
I that the Boston thing came up with uh, with Holly and Alex, and I was kind of getting a kick out of that. Like, you, who says uh, fly fishers aren't uh, superstitious, right? If if you're looking for a certain band to come on, but you can't put it on yourself, that's interesting to me. Dude, it is, and you know, it was just so funny and bizarre to me that I had to, you know, I had to adopt it, dude. <laughs> I love it. Um, what's a go-to fly pattern, uh, that you can't live without? It sounds like these rope flies are kind of right in your wheelhouse, but like if you had to get specific on a pattern, what's one that's kind of, you're reaching for more often than not? Dude, like, yeah, rope flies for gar, but as much as I love gar and I love chasing after them, like I, I have like any, I have very, very bad obsessions with any fish with that's like long and toothy. So, you know, like any, any Essex or, uh, like chain pickerels, pike, muskie, any of that stuff, dude, I just, I, I eat that shit up, but, um, bucktail deceivers, hands down, dude, I think deceivers are probably the best fly ever. Um, cause you can just time in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're giving me some ideas for some bigger lakes around here that I think that might, might just pan out on. Um, let's talk where you like to talk fishing. So, I mean, I realize that you've got your show, so you guys are doing this a lot. I would imagine that's kind of some of where you get your fill. But if you're not out there in your waders or in your boat, where do you get your fix? Dude, honestly, like, I wish I could be like, oh, I go down to the local fly shop and I kick it there, but there's no local fly shop here, dude. You know, like, this is Texas. It's not exactly the mecca of fly fishing. Um or fishing in general, you know, like, so, uh, honestly, dude, it's social media. It's like Instagram and stuff like that. Uh, that's how I get my interactions of fishing and I get to talk with my buddies on there or I just text them or call them and whatnot. Hmm. Yeah. What, what about sports? Are you a big sports guy, John? So like, uh, if you're pulling for your team, is it, you know, pro college, are we talking football? Are we talking baseball? Where do you get your fix uh, when it comes to the world of sports? Dude, uh, like uh, I'm unapologetically a uh, <laughs> Tennessee Volunteers fan, so uh, college right. football. Yeah. Um, I actually did kind of okay. You know, I'm not a devout fan. Uh, I mean, I am a devout fan, but I, I'm not a devout follower, if you will. Like, if anyone's like, "Oh, the Vols suck," be like, you know. That's kind of like fight. That's kind of like fighting words. Not really. I really don't care that much. But you know, being yeah. from Tennessee, that was that was the team I liked. And uh, uh, but other than that, dude, you know, I played bass drum in marching band. You know, I didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, sports weren't really my thing. It wasn't my outlet. Um, I, I would say marching band is a sport, <laughs> but yeah, um, you're probably not wrong on that one. That sounds uh, like there's a lot going on at once there, I would assume. Yeah, there, there really is, man. Um, it's a it's a lot of really labor-intensive time, and it's uh, there's a lot of critical thought that kind of goes into it and muscle memory and, and a lot of other really awesome aspects. But uh, I always think, too, think of like musicians. You know, if you're sitting at home or in the studio, you're figuring something out, but then... You do it live in front of other people. That's a whole other level. You start running around a stage, that's something else. But you start marching and, you know, like whether it's in a parade or at uh, halftime or whatever, um, 
I can imagine that's, uh, there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of brain function going on there, trying to remember a few things at once. It is, dude. And, you know, I was, so I was in percussion, you know, not to get on this too much, but, you know, I was in the drum line and um, that's, that's kind of like the heartbeat of the band is the drum line. If the drum line's off, the rest of the band's off. Um, so it's, it's kind of that whole deal, but um dude it was just uh it was really gratifying yeah really gratifying where where did you go to school dude uh i went to this little podunk town uh i grew up in uh it's it's lafayette tennessee but they call okay. it lafayette uh there um <laughs> lafayette uh tennessee and uh i went to macon county high school there that's yeah. where i grew up that's where my uh, my family's from originally and uh hmm. yeah rural tennessee it was awesome dude oh i can imagine probably uh you got fond memories of growing up there oh absolutely dude. yeah why why do you spend all this time fishing like it, you kind of alluded to it you know you spent uh eight years in active duty and then i heard you on another podcast kind of talking about how you know, you got back and it's like, okay, I need, I need, now what? I need to figure something out here. Um, walk us through that because the, the next question I like to ask is, is why do you do this? And I suspect there's a, there's a bigger reason for you. Um, what does it bring into your world and, and kind of what puts you on the water in your happy place? Dude, I, you know, I used to think like, oh, this sounds all sappy and kind of douchey, but no, dude, so I've got, I've got PTSD and you know, that used to be hard to say, but it's really not anymore. Uh, sorry, I'm digging through some stuff over here. Yeah, dude, I've got, I've got PTSD and, uh, I needed balance, dude. Balance is so, exp when you come from a world where everything is, you know, they say it's incredibly structured and yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that you have absolutely no idea what's going on when you're in the military and. People were like, oh, but surely they know that. I'm like, no, they don't They don't have a fucking clue what's going on. But you're there and you're in the middle of it and you're adapting and you're overcoming. And, mm -hmm. you know, and everything else is structured. And then, you know, you go to war and you fight for your country and you come back and maybe some of your friends don't. And you're just missing something. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard. You can't really put your finger on it. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of like there's a part of you left in whatever conflict that you were in hmm. and you never get that back. It's always, there's that piece of you that was always taken away. And, you know, for some people that, that ends up being PTSD and, you know, um, it just, uh, just kind of how it is, man. And I needed that balance. You know, I wasn't even in the army for Afghanistan. Um, I was just there as a contractor, but you see the same thing, uh, in, in aviation, it was, is the exact same thing. It's just, you're not in a uniform. Um, you know, so I came back and I really just needed that piece, dude. I needed some, some kind of tranquility, uh, something honestly, just to take my mind off of everything. Hmm. So, um, 
And does it does it do a good job of that for you? Like, I mean, I, I've talked to quite a few people that whether and a lot of it was PTSD, not necessarily military, but it could be any kind of PTSD as far as yeah, just see, focusing on the water and kind of letting everything go to the back of the brain, you know? Absolutely, man. And, you know, PTSD is not just like you said, it's it's post-traumatic stress disorder. That doesn't mean it's just from combat and it's not just for veterans. You know, there's people in car accidents. There's, uh, you know, people that were, you know, sadly they were a part of uh, domestic abuse and child abuse. And those are different kind of stress disorders, but it's, it's, it's the same kind of trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just on a different level. Did it, did, did it help you cope with it, John, in the fact it that it takes your brain off of it? Or is it, is it bigger than that? Like, is it bringing something that you, maybe you were missing? Dude, so I, I think it's kind of a combination of all that. You know, it's, it brought, it got me back on the water and the water has healing properties. And that's not just us being, you know, hippie fly fishers. That's scientifically proven that water <clears throat> enhances your mood. And, um, so being on water in pretty places where there was no one there to bother me, it was just me and nature. It really helped me find that center and that balance. And then I think the healing, I know it's maybe kind of strange, but the fly time really helped me a lot with, you know, um, keeping my mind busy. But I think the true healing came from the people that I met fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Because uh, just people from all different walks of life. And, you know, we all had stories to share. And some of my best friends that I'm going to have for the rest of my life, I met fly fishing. And, yeah. you know, they they helped me with a lot of this stuff, dude. And um, very you, thankful for that. I'm going to throw a comment out there. And I've said this before on, on this show. And that's that um, I've interviewed a lot of people. I think you're like 200 and, I don't know, 41 or something like that. Um there's not many people that I've talked to on the show that I wouldn't hang out with like tomorrow. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, I feel like there's a, a real deeper connection when it comes to fly fishing. Like you go to a show or you, you know, pretty much everybody there, especially when it's a fly fishing show. It's like, man, there's, you know, you, you'd hang out with any of those guys and gals. Yeah, I think so, dude. I mean, not everyone's going to be your flavor, of course, you know, but there's still a lot of really awesome people. And there's a lot of people that do really awesome things in fly fishing. So I'm, I'm with you, dude. You know, I, I've met maybe a handful of people that I really just don't give a shit about, you know, to be, to be honest about it, but mm-hmm. it's a handful and you're going to get that anywhere. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not just fly fishing. <laughs> you know, there's, there's people you're not going to like everywhere. So Fill in the blank for me, John. When I'm not yes. when I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Uh, being a dad. Ah, how how many kids you got? Dude, I've got one, and he's pretty much the best little dude on the planet. So, <laughs> how old would he be? Uh, he's ten. Right he's on. ten. You get him out there much, or at the at the tying bench, or? Uh, dude, when he wants to, you know. At first, I was like, man, I got to take him fishing. And I thought how, and I thought taking him fishing meant I had to make him go fishing with me. And I still do that sometimes because I think it's healthy for him to get out of the house sometimes. But, uh, 
you know, at first when he was younger, I was like, all right, dude, we're going fishing, get ready. There was no option, but you know, he's 10 now and I'm kind of letting him grow up to be his own dude, of course, with, you know, mentorship and guidance and being not a shitbag parent, you know? So <laughs> I love the but, way, I love the way you verbalize things and getting a kick out of it. Um, no sugarcoating it with you. Uh, I try not to, man. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm unapologetically me, you know, I, have you have you got uh, a day job right now, John? Or or yeah, is... dude, I'm a I'm an aluminum welder. Ah, okay, okay. Who do you, who do you work for? Do you work for yourself or an, a contractor for another company? No, I, I work I work for a company. We build uh, agricultural feed trailers. I mean, if you look up Texarkana, Texas, and agricultural feed trailer, you'll see who I work for. But yeah, um, yeah we build agricultural semis, uh, all aluminum bodies, a lot of different builds for like Tyson farms, Pilgrim farms, and pretty much anybody that moves grain to the, uh, to their animals. Uh, we have a trailer that does it for them. So, uh, that's what I do. I love talking jobs because the, the more, and, and I'm sure you find it with your podcast, most people, not all, but most people in the fly fishing space, it's a side hustle. It's, uh, you know, it's not there all day, every day. I'm not saying it, you know, if you happen to be a guide, then, then it probably is, but there's a lot of people in this space that have a full-time job plus. Do you, do you find that? Yeah. I think that's the most common thing. And you know, a lot of people, I think social media does a really terrible job of displaying that. I don't know if it's just how we portray ourselves or whatever, but uh, social media does a terrible job of portraying that. Like, so I, I tie flies for Daiichi, um, Daiichi hooks. Yeah. And that's not like a shameless plug or whatever, but I made a post and I just say this because it, it's kind of funny to me. So I made this post and I was like, Hey, you know, I've got a tying position with Daiichi hooks when I was awarded the spot with them. Right. And uh, everyone's like, Oh wow, dude. So you just, tie flies for a living and it's like dude i really wish but like not as a commercial tire though because i don't want to tie those quantities you know i did did that i did that for a little bit and that sucked the fun out of tying so Mm -hmm. i don't want to ever have to do that again yeah that that's been my experience too doing it a long time ago for a couple fly shops out in in this area and i just if i find there's certain things that you need to do for you. You know what I mean? You're doing it for a bigger reason. I know that sounds, and and I don't want any commercial tires to take offense to that. Cause to me, I don't mean it that way, but what I'm saying is there's certain things I need to be just for the sake of doing it. Not, not to sit down and tie 37 dozen woolly buggers and all of right. Like like for me, that's a quick way to go. Shoot. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you know, but no, dude, I'm I'm with you. Like I get, and that's exactly what it was, dude. I just didn't want I didn't want that. Uh, it was it was stressful too, man, because you know it wasn't like incredibly large quantities, but people kept hitting me up for like destination flies. So I do not sell flies anymore, right? My last flies were some destination flies for Columbia for some Pyara, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, they were successful, and that's all I wanted to know from that. And I'm kind of done tying flies because it, it got to be so stressful. Because dudes were like, "Oh, I'm gonna gonna go fish for tarpon. Uh, hook me up, John." It's like, dude, I've never fished for tarpon. 
Um, I would be a liar if I sold you those flies, right? So I do a lot of homework because even after I tell them that I don't want to tie their tarpon flies, they're like, no, dude, I want you to tie my tarpon flies. <laughs> so it's like, okay, dude, I, I will tie your tarpon flies. And if they do not work, you cannot blame me. <laughs> yeah, and, fair enough. You know, th- thankfully they, they did work, but that I did so much homework, so much homework to figure out those flies, like, what are the correct dimensions historically? What were they for? Like what time of the year is, are they fishing for tarpon in Belize? You know, it's like all this stuff that I didn't know before. And now I know now. And it was just so incredibly stressful because, you know, you tie these flies and you charge the guys, you know, what they're worth, you know, it's not, it's not production tying and you're, you know, you're just doing all this doing all this, I uh, say production out in like commercial tires. I mean, like mm. it's, they're not just getting dished out by like big brand companies, you know, like this is, this is me, John Moore sitting behind the vice for uh, 13 hours tying your flies, you know? So. I, um, I love talking jobs on this show. So it's probably a good kind of uh, transition into your work life. So best job you've ever had. Are you, are you doing it now? Is it uh no, dude. So I like, I enjoy welding. Welding's great. It's a gratifying job. I make cool shit. Um, it pays the bills for my family. It, it allots me time with my son, which is incredibly important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, definitely not the best job I ever had. What's the worst job you ever had that you're willing to talk, uh, talk about? Oh, absolutely. I will a hundred percent tell you about that, dude. Um, I worked at, uh, the tire factory here in Texarkana and that is the worst fucking job I ever had. Um, <laughs> that is the only, I'm a, yeah, I know I cuss a lot and stuff, but I'm actually a really professional dude. And that is the only job my entire life that I did not give a two weeks notice or I did not let them know like months ahead of time. Like, Hey, I got another job offer. I'm heading out to go do that job. Um, I really appreciate all the time and uh, all the mentorship and knowledge that you have given me, you know, all, all that, you know, atypical stuff that you tell people when you're resigning from their company, right? Mm-hmm. This is the only place that I literally shot my supervisor a message on Facebook and I said, I'm not coming back to work. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty final. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what we've all, I, I always think that if you can, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a feather in the cap. It's like a, it's a, what do we call that? It's just like, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of thing. Cause we've all had those jobs where it's like, you're going in and it's like, man, this is not, this is not my ideal situation, but, um, you either power through it or you look for something better. Sounds like you did the latter. <laughs> yeah, dude, I went to college. <laughs> I went, I was, I ended up after taxes, I was making like $10 an hour at the tire factory, dude. Hmm. And that's not enough to live off of. I don't care where you live. That's just not enough. Yeah. So I went to college and I ended up making like $300 more a month going to college and like learning uh, off of my GI bill than I did at the tire factory. So it was kind of like a no brainer, literally working myself to death at this place Hmm. for no money. Where did you learn to weld? Dude, that's what I went to college for. Okay, um, makes sense. Yeah, I was I was doing an associates. I say was because I, I didn't finish it. Um, that's what that's what you know. John Lennon said, "Life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans." 
<laughs> and you know, uh, that's that's kind of what happened to me. Um, that's what I went to school for. Is all all I finished out of that was my uh, my welding program. I never finished my associates. I'm literally like, I've got <laughs> I've got close to like sixty credit hours between uh, aviation and um, just gen ed stuff, and just still never finished uh, my associates. But that that's on the table for the future. Yeah. Well, it sounds it sounds like though it did did the job. It got you got you doing something different, you know. Yeah, it did. It did, and I, you know, I'm very grateful for the job that I have now. Good, love it. Um, is there a fly fishing location that is like what's the best spot you've been without giving away the secret spot? I mean, is it in your neck of the woods, or is it maybe somewhere else? Well, so Mark, that depends on what you call the best spot. Are you talking like? I'm talking about. Well, just somewhere that really resonated with you. Like I always ask about, um, you know, your ideal day. Paint us a picture. So let. Why don't you do that? Paint us a picture of your perfect day. Like maybe it's chasing these gar with rope flies. The sun's out. You got something cold to drink. I don't. But walk us through your ideal day. Dude, I mean, I'm no Bob Ross, but I'll give it a shot. You know. Um, Let's see. Uh, most ideal day of fishing would be I want to go with I want me and Brian, right? I want me and Brian to go fish for Arapaima with 12 weights or whatever. And I want to go catch Arapaima with Brian. But the, the place that, uh, resonated with me the most was the Washita National Forest in Arkansas. That's I did most of my guiding in Arkansas. <clears throat> I guided a little bit in Texas for long nose gar. And I'm, I'm sorry, that wasn't like a really great um, picturesque moment there. But um, the forest, the national forest is just something different about it. And it's, it's kind of eerie a little bit because there was a flood there way before I lived here. I've only lived here, you know, Oh, shit a couple years mm -hmm. but um there was a flood there that killed quite a few people because the water got so high that they couldn't pass the bridges and uh, uh a lot of people sadly you know they they lost their lives uh in this in this national uh national park here and it's called albert pike and it's there's all these old abandoned buildings um, that you can't go in, of course, and I don't know why you'd want to, but it's almost got this kind of eerie feeling, but at the same time, it's just such an absolutely magical place. Um, the trout are awesome. <laughs> there's even like small spring gar there. Um, there's smallmouth, which are so awesome. Um, and it's just, it's so beautiful there. Uh, the air is very clean. The water is gin clear. Uh, it's always cold. There's some waterfalls, all kinds of cool stuff. Like that's where I like to take my son because he likes to, you know, he likes to try to skip rocks in every like nice run there is with possible <laughs> uh, smallmouth or trout. But you know what? Uh, at the end of the day, I'd rather him, you know, skip all these rocks and all these holes I'm trying to fish because I'd rather just enjoy that time with him than catch some fish. So, yeah, well said. So how far of a drive is that from your place? Like from where you're at, is that, are we talking hours or? 
Uh, two hours. Two hours mm. exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, that's as the Outlander, the Mitsubishi Outlander flies is two hours. Um, <laughs> so you got this, you got this Outlander all rigged up. Is it, I mean, what are we looking at? Oh, are hell, we talking lift, no, lift I, kits? I no, dude, I don't even have stickers on that bad boy. I'm missing so much horsepower. If I had a rod rack, I'd get 10 more horsepower. <laughs> and if I had a, I don't know, any like trout affiliated sticker, I'd gain at least two and a half horsepower. Um, <laughs> But no, no, dude, it's just got four by four. You know, I keep a jack in the back. Uh, I keep a air pump in the back. Um, and that's, you know, that's about it, dude. You know, um, I had a Nissan Xterra before that. They mm -hmm. t the insurance totaled it out like five months after my accident. Like I had literally fixed everything on the car that was wrong with it. And then they totaled it out. And uh, so I had to go get my, uh, I had to get something, dude. I, have, I didn't have a car payment before that. Um, since I was like 18, I'm 30. So I had like 12 years of being debt free. So that kind of sucked. Yeah. But, no kidding. Uh, but yeah, dude, uh, it's just, uh, it's your regular outlander. You what, know? what are you normally fishing out of? So are you always walking Wade? Do you have a drift boat? Do you have a, some kind of tin boat, uh, John boat? Like what, what do you, what are you normally fishing out of? Dude, my favorite, honestly, my favorite is walk Wade. I do have a, I have a, an aluminum i have an aluminum flat bottom boat mm -hmm. uh, it's a 15 foot by 50 inches wide express 1992 uh i got a 30 horse tohatsu on the back of that two stroke um that that son of a bitch hits 88 and you know you're jumping back in the future that that is way <laughs> too much motor for that boat but your bow might be a little bit out of the water yeah just just a little bit there's there's <laughs> there's not a whole lot left to get on plane and that makes it way easier to get on plane too, you know, but, um, huh. I honestly do. I just don't really use it though. I pretty much do walk away that when I guided. So I guided the little Missouri river in Arkansas, which is like an hour and a half for me. And then it actually runs further north of that. And that's where the Washington national forest is like Albert Pike. That's the upper little Missouri. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I did walkway trips on the upper and then I did walkway trips on the lower. The lower is a tailwater and, uh, it, it fishes like absolutely insane, dude. It is so much fun, but it's, it's not very pretty. And the rocks are super slick, you know, like, uh, anytime I would take a buddy, I'd be like, hey, dude, you need a walking stick. And they're like, I am not taking a walking stick. And their pride is their demise because by the end of the day, their waders are full of water and their hat's floating beside me. I'm like, dude, I... <laughs> because uh, it runs like at a max, like, yeah. I don't know, I, I say like 1500 CFS. And that's when they're generating. And they don't generate all the time when the water's not high. So it sits at like 50 CFS. And it's a pretty sizable river. I mean, it's nothing like huge out west or anything, but it's a sizable river. So 50 CFS, you can't even tell the water is moving. It's pretty much a still water tell water, which is kind of bizarre to me, but that's just kind of how it works, dude. Hmm. And it grows some absolutely fat rainbows. Yeah, sounds pretty good. Uh, we got John Morris on the line, host of Working Class Fishing Podcast. Him and his good buddy, uh, we're going to talk all about that. But the one thing, John, that I'm curious about is, is what's your favorite thing on the show? Like, what, what do you like most? What do you get out of doing the podcast? 
Dude, I just I like talking to people. I like and I like hearing people's stories. Like I'm saying, like a lot right now, and I, <clears throat> I apologize for that. But um, it's just all these folks' stories, dude. They're so good and unique, and it's just so interesting and fun because all it, everybody really is from a different walk of life, but we're all connected in this one same way. And not to sound like a a hippie about it you know but it's like we're all connected through fishing and it's just sick dude it's it's so really awesomely unique in that way yeah that's well that's well verbalized i i find too i kind of get my like that one thing i like to ask on on the show that we already covered is where do you get your fix when you're not fishing for me this is where i get my fix because i get to call somebody up like you for no good reason other than to just shoot the shit, you know, find out why you do this, what are you doing? I, I mean, I can tell you after talking with you, rope flies is going to be something on my list to look into, know nothing about them. But the, the further I dig into this fly fishing, and, and I thought I knew a bit when I started the show, but when it turns out I knew nothing, you know, like you could be doing something your whole life, and I've never fish for gar i may never get a chance to fish for gar in my life there's no gar in in the neck of the woods where where i'm at it's all about trout and there's some salmon and steelhead and we do have smallmouth bass largemouth bass sunfish you know perch that type of thing um but basically because we're in a warm spot uh in canada so for, for me it's like my horizons it's like you're tying you know you sit down and you start tying a pattern that you may or may not ever fish you still learn something from it does that make sense? It does. It, I think, and I think that was very well said. There's, there's just, you never get to the end of it. You know, it truly is this rabbit hole mm. and it's as much as you want to get out of it. Right. If you, if you want to go drink beers with your buddies and go, you know, throw nymph rigs under bobbers or do whatever you want to do, that's, that's your fly fishing. Right. And then my yeah. fly fishing might be completely different but we're still able to learn so much and appreciate so much about each other just from the mutual love of the sport. Have you ever had anything to do with project healing waters or anything like that? That kind of sounds like something you might've been offered at some point in the past. Uh, dude, I have never been offered anything with project healing waters. Um, and it's something I want to do. And it's not just necessarily like project healing waters. I'd like to be, I'd like to help out with real recovery or good fly or any of these programs that help people mm. that could really use a hand. You know, I think the Mayfly project is really amazing too. Um, it, you know, it was just with all this divorce stuff and everything going on, not that that matters, but it's, you know, once again, finding that balance between, you know, like I, I don't guide anymore cause I don't have the time to guide. I did. I love guiding. Yeah. But, um, making sure that everything's taken care of with my son is more important than taking people to go fish. So, um, mm -hmm. it just goes back to all that, but as life's getting more and more normal, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. um, I really want to join the Mayfly project out of all the projects that are out there. I think the Mayfly project is probably, I think the most important, um, just because I think our, our children and our youth are the most important resource that we have as humanity. So, Have you had anybody from that project on, on your show? 
Uh, Brian is actually a mentor. Ah, cool. So we're we're huge fans of the Mayfly Project. But I, I actually I just reached out to Jess. Um, that's like the the dude for the Mayfly Project. I reached out to him and. I'm hoping to have him on so he can, you know, uh, talk about it and hopefully get more people interested. And mm-hmm. how, how, you know, something I'm curious about is how do you find people for your show? Like for me, that's, uh, it's almost never the same twice, but social media definitely is your friend. But how do you guys, how do you and Brian go about getting people to come on? Dude, uh, we just kind of find people that we think are interesting and then we reach out to him or you know sometimes it's like a friend of a friend or uh we've had people on that ask to come on we try not to do that so much anymore um we like having listeners on and stuff like that but some uh, we've we found that uh there's a lot of a lot of people will say that they want to come on and then they they just bail on you or Mm -hmm. um it just it just hasn't been working out very well. So we, we try not to do that as often anymore unless, like, we, we have an actual feel for who you are as, like, your character and whatnot. But Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I've had I had a couple shows. I, I It's funny. It's it's half a dozen one six to the other, you know. Like, so, sometimes someone will reach out. They may have a product they just developed, and, and usually I'm all over that. Um, but it's, like, I find it fascinating – people's stories and so for me i love the backstory um like i I, you know why do we do this i mean in your case you'd mentioned it started kind of as a ptsd thing it's somewhere for you to go find some kind of space on the water and it sounds like it's been a healing kind of calming journey in in your life and it 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 seems to me that that's kind of a common denominator i think with a lot of people I, i know myself um, John, I, I find time does that for me too. Like sometimes, you know, it'll be like, I don't really feel like watching TV. There's nothing on the damn thing. Anyways, it's like, it's Wednesday night at uh, eight o'clock and I'll just tell my wife, I'm just going to go downstairs and, and type some patterns. Next thing I know it's 11 o'clock at night. And, um, I probably got a podcast like yours playing in the background or listening to some tunes or, or phoning somebody and talking to them while I'm tying. I, I find you can multitask doing it. And I kind of like that. Dude, I, I, I think I'm with you 100 percent on that. I mean, I'm time flies right now, dude. Yeah, I can hear it's, that. It's just, it's just, it's awesome, man. I, I love time flies. I think for the same reason because it, it, it gives me something. Dude, I'm a very mechanically inclined person. Um, I, I get probably my most satisfaction from tinkering with things. Um, so fly tying for me has just been absolutely amazing. Um, Mm. It gives me this, uh, this avenue for creativity, but it's also very structured at the same time. Uh, I know I can sit down and I can tie, uh, I can tie three dozen size 12 or size 14 bead head pheasant tail nymphs, and I can make them all look the same because it's the same steps over and over and over again. And that's actually kind of therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I can sit down and I can freestyle uh, an old, uh, you know, an old salmon fly on like one of those 1.5 hooks. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 
you know, those are, I don't, I don't post those flies cause I'm not, uh, um, comfortable enough posting like green highlanders and stuff, uh, on my Instagram. It's just kind of like my own guilty pleasure. You know, it used mm -hmm. to be dry flies, but I like tying on bigger hooks now. So the salmon flies, they take a lot of time. Like someday I'm going to tie like this really perfect Kelson green Highlander and I'm going to like frame it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I get that. Yeah. You may never fish it, but it looks cool, you know? And it, yeah. It, dude. <laughs> but that's, that's that, that's that flight time, right? Like you said, you tie three dozen, uh, pheasant tailed nymphs you get pretty good at it right you see i mean how many of those highlanders or whatever it's called have you sat down to tie i'm sure it's not something that you probably spend as much time doing but oh definitely not you know i i say maybe four i've tried four mm. and I, I had one that was you know pretty okay you know but yeah. um but you know the, the it goes back to like different strokes for different folks you know like the the whole thing i really enjoy is like predator flies or um, you know, like striped bass, largemouth bass flies also, mm -hmm. like anything you can do with bucktail. I'm all over it, dude. I love working with bucktail. So, something that I kind of still have not perfected in any stretch yet. It's just what I, I'll sit at the bench, go, I'm going to tie something to post because I need to post something. I haven't posted anything in a week and I'm going to put something up. So then I, I tie it, I take a picture, I post it. And then like an idiot, I sit here and I'll tie six more and the next five are better than that first one. And I'm like, why did I put that up? You know, I, I just haven't learned that yet. But I know there's there's some people that will sit down and go, if I'm going to post something, it's got to be perfect. You you sound like you have a bit of that perfectionist uh, character in you. Dude, believe it or not, like if good enough is just okay sometimes. You know, um, if, if you're trying to pump out a lot of content or I know this might sound asinine, but if you're trying to pump out content, sometimes good enough is just good enough. You know, it boils down to what you're looking for at the end of the day. Um, if it's not a fly that I'm comfortable with, I probably won't post it. Like these salmon flies, I've posted maybe like two or three salmon flies ever on my page. Um, but you'll see me post sex dungeons and like... Mm -hmm. 13 and a half inch game changers and all this other stuff. 13 and a awesome. half inches. Holy. That's, that's a fly. <laughs> that's some meat. Dude, that's, I, I love tying big flies. Yeah. It, and they take like 45 minutes to an hour of fly, but you know what? Hmm. They, they look sick. They swim awesome. And they've got six hooks in. I mean, I mean, what is there not to love about that? <laughs> Tell, tell me about your tying setup. Uh, I love talking about setups. Like what, first off the primary tool, the, the vice, uh, what are you, what's that hook clamped into right now? What brand? Dude, uh, this is an HMH Spartan. I am ride or die 100% HMH. Um, I don't, I'm not saying there's not other good vices out there. This is just, there are many like it, but this one is mine. You know, this is, uh, a hundred percent. My favorite vice are, uh, HMH TRV. And this is an HMH Spartan that I'm tying in right now. Uh, absolutely love it. Hmm. Um, what, what about hooks? Are you, is, are you a brand guy? Like, um, is there something you prefer over others as far as hooks? Um, 
I, I tie for Daiichi. Oh, right. So Sorry, he's, yeah, no, yeah, no, it's not a big deal. It's, <laughs> it's insignificant at the end of the day. Um, yeah, so I use Daiichi hooks. Um, I don't use, I don't really tie nets or anything anymore, but uh, I use a ton of their streamer hooks. Mm-hmm. They they make a great hook. That's that's one hook. There's certain hooks I've tied with in the past that tend to sometimes break in the vise, or sometimes kind of uh, I find I'm, I'm fishing for a lot smaller fish than you are by the sounds of it. But sometimes that gap will narrow, or um, they'll just break off at some point. But Daiichi is is a brand that I, I I'm comfortable in saying I've never had an issue with. You know, they're always sharp, they're always strong. Um, solid hook. I, I could see why I like to use them. Well, you know, and admittedly, I, I love all, not all the Daiichi hooks. That's, there's some of them I think that could be improved on. And then, uh, there's some that, uh, you can't have the perfect with everything. Right. So, uh, I'm not going to say every hook that they have is just the end all be all. That would be, uh, that'd be very fake, you know, to say that. And that's just, that's not who I am, even though I, you know, I tie for them. Um, but I, most of their hooks, dude, just like you said, I, I will say this though. Every one of their hooks are way too damn sharp. Like, um, they're just incredibly sharp hooks. And I really like their, I mean, if I were to give like nomenclatures, I like their three one elevens, uh, their alpha predator hooks, their 2456s and their 2461s. All of those hooks for like streamers are absolutely unreal. You can mm. do anything with those hooks. Do you retain that information? Well, someone will ask me about tying, and I'm like, I don't, I, if I don't have it in front of me, you know, unless it's like a, you know, a, a T100 or a, a, a number that sticks in my brain, but because all these different companies have different coding systems for their hooks, and I find I don't remember them. Like I've been on podcasts, and someone will say, "What what do you like to use?" And I'm just like, uh, "Let me look at my wall here because I can't remember a damn thing." But you seem to rattle those off pretty quick, or, or are you looking at them? Uh, the three one elevens are sitting right beside me, so that was why I let off with those. But the rest of them, I just tie with them all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, like you've got the Gonkatsu B ten S's and the SL twelve S's, and you know, like it, they're just hooks that I've used a lot, mm-hmm. and so I'm very familiar with uh, their nomenclatures. And what I did in the army it was uh, I was unmanned aviation. Um, I was an instructor for five years and I was just your regular dude for like three of those. So hmm. I taught people how to, uh, operate fly is not the correct word, right? Cause we're not pilots, but we're operators, um, of unmanned aerial systems. Hmm. And I taught people how to do that for five years. So I had to get really good at, um, you know, the fundamentals of learning, if you will, you know, like your rote application correlation, uh, rope understanding application correlation. It's RUAC was the acronym for it. So, uh, I've got a pretty decent memory for useless shit. Um, <laughs> well, it's not useless as a, if it's your job, right? You know? Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. I love it. Good stuff. My, my brain doesn't function that way for some reason. Um, love it. 
Um, what else was I going to ask you, man? I've been going down some rabbit holes here, but I, that's all good. Well, let, let's talk about bobbins. Like, is there a bobbin you like to use, and then and then throw the th- your go to thread out there, like um, on these big patterns? Uh, obviously, you need something that can you can pull down on pretty solid. What do you like to use in the thread scene? Uh, I like Vivas GSP. Um, if I didn't use GSP, I'd use Simperfly Nano Silk. Um, but I'm a huge fan of 150 or 100 denier GSP. Um, it's just just so hard to break. And then my buddy August has been trying to get me to tie with Mono, but I keep breaking it. So um, hmm. that's u- that's user error, 100. That's not the Mono's fault. That's my fault for being gorilla fisted on on my hook. That uh, but, uh, that vice must have a pretty secure grip too if you're pulling that hard. Oh, dude, no, it absolutely does. Um, I've tied everything from eight aughts in these jaws all the all the way down to thirty twos, hmm. and uh, that's a. Uh, I used to have, dude. I used to. I'm like, you know, looking back on it, this is kind of bizarre to me, right? So I used to be infatuated with tying small flies, and I don't know why. Hmm. Like the smaller the fly, the like more I wanted to tie it. And, you know, I have this, I have one singular pack of size 20 dry fly hooks and I pulled them out yesterday and I was like, holy shit, I used to tie these, (laughs) but go ahead. I was going to say, do you use, um, like cheaters, like glasses or readers, or do you have a magnifying glass on your light? What do you use to kind of blow things up so you can see what you're doing? Oh, dude, my glasses are so thick. I think I can see in them tomorrow. Like, <laughs> um, okay. All right. Um, I, I just curious. I, I, I used to have a giant magnifying glass, which I really, we, we tie a lot of midges where I'm at, a lot of chronomid patterns. And I've, I've found, you know, a lot of times I'm tying small and I don't love tying small either, but small for me would be like 16. Sometimes I'll go to an 18 if I absolutely have to, but I do find it fascinating when some, you know, this is one thing that drives me nuts with fly fishing. Someone will tell you they're fishing a size, I don't know, say 12. And you're like going, okay, it's a 12. But what they don't tell you is, does it have a 3X long shank or is it a 1X? Is It's like a 12 is not a 12 is not a 12. And I, I find it sometimes frustrating when I'm trying to match things. You know what I mean? It's like uh, a 12 is not a 12. No, it's not. And, you know, even with hook gapes, too, uh, it, it depends. Like, the older the hook, generally the smaller the gape is on it. And the newer the hook, generally the larger the gape is on it. And that's something that people don't take into account. Like, if you were to tie on a fire hole hook, let's just say, mm-hmm. and you were to compare that to, like, I don't know, like a TM Co. hook, the fire hole hook is going to run about a size larger on average than a TM Co or a Mustad or whatever else, because that's just the gape on it. Uh, you know, you look at the Kona hooks and the A-Rex, like they're all these hooks are all great in their own rights. Um, but those three brands, when you look at those, those, the gapes on those hooks are considerably larger yeah. than they are on a just older, more uh, quote, air quote, classic hooks, you know? Yeah, no, you're you're bang on. I find that too. Like the old, uh, what's that brand's been around forever? Mustad hooks, for instance. And then I look, I've got some Hannock hooks on the wall here, and I'm like, they have these huge gaps. It's like if something grabs it, it's going to stick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Fascinating. Um, we never did actually get to the bobbin. So, uh, is there a brand or are you fairly easy going with that? Or is that, you know, what works? Dude, for you? I, I just, I, dude, admittedly, I'm in the market for a new bobbin. Um, I have tied with right bobbin since I started tying. Um, yeah, I got one of those. I really like it actually. Yeah. You know, I do too, but I made the mistake of not getting the ceramic mag bobbin. So, uh, I've got this burr in my bobbin. So every mm. once in a while, I'll actually cut my GSP. Yeah. That stuff's and, hard on, on bobbins. Yeah, dude. It, you know, it, it hindsight's 2020, you know, but, um, I think if I would have had the ceramic insert, I wouldn't be in the market for anything else. I really enjoy yeah. attention to bobbin. Uh, once again, my buddies are like urging me to break my ways and to be more open-minded and try some stuff. So I'm tying at Salbug uh, this weekend, actually. And a lot of my buddies are going to be there and they're literally bringing extra bobbins for me to try before I go buy one. So, hmm. Yeah, that well, the ceramic is a must. Like for me, it's like otherwise, yeah, especially dealing with some of those, uh, like those GSP threads, that's going to wear on them over time, especially when you're tying a lot of big patterns and really reefing down. Hmm. I've got a... You know what one I like, and it's uh, it's a stone foe. It's similar design to the right bobbin, but it was like a quarter of the price, and it has a ceramic insert in it. But um, and and I'm like you. If I can't tension it, I want to be able to control that. It's a big part of it in my mind. Get it? Finding that that's something we don't talk about a lot in tying is that feel, right? It's like a not everybody ties the same, but you're pulling down a certain kind of pound weight when you, you know what I mean? And you probably are very consistent with that. And if you find the sweet spot on your bob and it can sure make a big difference. It, dude, it really can. And you know, I like the tension because honestly, dude, my hands hurt quite a bit. Um, uh, so I had, <laughs> I don't really tell people this, but uh, I'm a cancer survivor. Also, I had cancer. I had testicular cancer in uh, 2015. And mm. some of the drugs kind of like fucked up my hands and my nerves a little bit uh, when I did my chemo. Right. And um, so the tension bobbin just actually helps me a lot uh, because I don't have to squeeze my hand down. I don't mm. have to squeeze my palm down to keep my thread tension up. So that's why I prefer the tension bobbins. But I know a lot of dudes that don't and you know it's to each their own you know yeah yeah no for sure and that's that's something i'm always playing with like i had a really really old one and it was not ceramic and it used to like when i first started tying i had an old dh thompson vice it was just like what the thing's probably 40 years old and and it worked fine but now what when people get into tying now, it's like, yeah, you can spend crazy amounts of dollars, but there's always that sweet spot out there for me. Like say in a vice between, I don't know, a hundred and 300 bucks, you better be able to find something good, right? You can go crazy on the, off the deep end, but the average tire, you know, by the time you realize it's value, I don't, I don't know if there is value there. Does that make sense? No, dude, I, I'm with you, man. Like, um, I think peak makes an absolutely amazing vice. Hmm. Um, dude, uh, when I started tying, I started tying in a bench vice, like, yeah. uh, for, you know, just doing shop work. I tied in a bench vice holding a pair of needle nose pliers, which were holding my hook, you know, like <laughs> it, yeah. it doesn't take much 
to get started, but you will quickly outgrow um, the less quality items. Uh, cheaper is not the right word because yeah. money isn't isn't an indicator of quality ever. Um, so, but your less quality vices, like your fifteen to twenty five dollar vices, just save your money. Yeah. Yeah. Just save up a little bit longer and, you know, go get a peak for like 110 bucks or, yeah. you know, go get, go get a good C clamp vice or something like that. I, I picked know? up this Renzetti. I think, I, I don't know. I probably had it for maybe five years now and it's, it's been a real good one for, for sure. But, and it's what you're used to, right? That's the other thing uh, that, that people sometimes uh, like you and the bobbin would be a good example it's worked for you so why 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 even go look for one but all of a sudden now it's starting to nick your nick your thread and you're starting to break off i could see that getting super frustrating especially if you're spending 45 minutes on a big pattern yeah absolutely indeed and like like you said the comfortability and it's just what you're used to um and that's how you build consistency you know if you want uh when you at some point you're going to get to your, this, this point in time. If, if you're not, even if you're a guide, right. I was, I was about to make this stupid comment, like, unless you're a guide, because when I was a guide, I didn't care how it looked so much. I just cared that it fished, mm-hmm. you know, but even, you know, looking back on it now, even as a guide, sometimes I would just sit and I would tie like the best fly I could, you know, at some point you're going to get to that point where you're like, okay, this isn't good enough anymore. I want to do better. And how you can do that is building consistency. And that consistency comes from using the same kind of material and learning how to use your tools and getting comfortable with your tools. And you know what? If you can't get comfortable with a tool, change it. Get something new. That's some good tips. I love it. So so if we want to find your, your podcast, we want to get all caught up on working class fishing, uh, other than running into you uh, at the show this weekend, wh- where where do we go? Where, you know, you guys are on pretty much every platform out there, I would imagine. Yeah, we are. Um, uh, the only place you won't find us is uh, Twitter, Facebook, and OnlyFans. Um, but you can uh, find us at workingclassfishing.com. Uh, you can find us on any major listening platform. We're on YouTube. Uh, you can find me at Morris Flyco. Um, I can direct any messages you want towards Brian and Brian has a historic, uh, Pacific Northwest fishing page and YouTube. Um, he does a lot of really awesome stuff on there and that's Pacific Northwest vintage fishing. So PNW vintage fishing, that's Brian's personal page, Mm -hmm. but for just podcast related stuff, uh, you can just shoot it over at working class fishing dot com or on the instagram and that's really the best way to get a hold of us is through instagram has gar season started yet dude gar season is so yes uh short answer yes a little bit longer answer they drain the section of the sulfur river to do dam repairs where i do most of my gar fishing so all the gar moved down river and uh, it's kind of hard to get down there and fish it and have the time. Um, so I kind of just like being able to, you know, throw from the bank. They just haven't moved back up. We're just getting large amounts of bait fish moving back up, which means uh, my estimation, my very uneducated estimation is that by June to July, we'll start seeing gar moving back up river far enough to be able to catch them again from the bank. Love it. 
What what time of year did Gar spawn? Uh, is that dude. a fall thing or is that a spring thing? No, it's just, it is a spring thing. I don't remember the hmm. exact month. It really depends on your watershed. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very temperature based. Um, hmm. It's something I got to d- do a deep dive into because I really don't know anything about them, but they're sure cool looking fish. And uh, John, I love what you're up to, man. I, I love your, uh, your openness and your um, willing to share time with us on the show and, and what you guys are doing with the podcast Thanks so much for spending some time on the water with us tonight. Oh, Mark, dude, thank you so much for having me on. And you've been such a gracious host. And uh, I just can't thank you enough for your time, dude. And listen to me ramble about uh, whatever. You kidding? <laughs> There's nothing I'd rather be doing. You've been listening tonight. Thanks for joining us. A chat with John Morris out of Texarkana, Texas. Uh, he's in Northeast Texas and he's chasing Gar. He's chasing bass you name a species browns brookies he's all over the place and he also is uh one of the hosts along with his good buddy brian working class fishing podcast check them out i'm going to do a deep dive into their back catalogs after this and, and and find out about these rope flies too um thanks for joining us this time around we'll catch you next time on the show thanks for listening to the fly fishing 97 podcast powered by the your source for all things fly fishing Wait For It Films, featuring fly fishing videos and camera-related content. Custom music from Damian Anderson and by BrokenTippet.com.